So last night we began uh, Sukkot by kind of taking an overview of Sukkot in the Bible and in uh, Judaism, in re- throughout the ages in the rabbinic literature. And, uh, you know, it's really uh, quite an enriching study, I think, when you think about Sukkot. Uh, so, uh, you know, as we learned last night, it, it is really the, the prevalent holiday in the Bible and, uh, and really in ancient uh, Israel. Uh, and that may come as a surprise to us when we think about uh, how Sukkot is understood today, Right? You know, today, uh, you, know, not, you know, outside of our Messianic Jewish community, <laughs> you know, uh, Sukkot is kind of a minor, uh, a minor holiday. And uh, uh, not that it's unimportant. Minor doesn't mean unimportant, you know, but just not a, uh, a, a, a major uh, holiday like Passover or Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. But we learned last night that it truly is. Uh, and, uh, and so this morning, I thought we would uh, focus a little bit on a familiar passage to us, so that now that we, now that we really understand the holiday, now let's uh, uh, focus a little bit on the holiday making a difference in our lives, right? It's not so much just about understanding it, uh, but is there an experiential aspect to uh, to uh, to Sukkot, and uh, you know, um, sometimes in our little world of uh, Messianic Judaism, we spend a lot of time uh, uh, understanding the holiday, understanding the holidays. You know, uh, what they mean and and how do they relate to the New Covenant? And but I, uh, uh, you know, it's our conviction that these holidays need to do what they're supposed to do in our lives, not just help us to understand the Bible better uh, or to understand uh, our faith better or to appreciate the Jewish uh, roots or heritage or essence of our faith better. That's always very good, of course. But what would God have us to do first and foremost? And that is that these that we would meet with God on these holidays, that they would be uh, holy convocations, you know, and not seminars, right? Uh, and, uh, and that is, uh, you know, certainly uh, my heart and certainly our, our heart here at Beth Messiah. So, you know, when uh, we, the Brit Chadashah today was the first part of John chapter 7, and uh, I, and of course that's appropriate because it is uh, that is a primary passage of Sukkot. But we want to look at those verses today, this morning, that we looked at briefly for a moment uh, last night, and that is a you know uh, toward the end of uh, Yeshua's uh, discourse there in John chapter seven on Sukkot, and you are familiar with it. Very famous verses, okay? Uh, And uh, we read in verse 37, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, 
You know what's interesting? Of course, last night uh, we talked about the background of that. The seventh day, Hoshana Rabbah, getting water from the pool of Siloam, pouring it over the, the altars like a libation, a water offering. And on the seventh day, they were waving palm branches and they were singing Psalm 118 and they're pouring the water and it's, you know, this great uh, moment. And they're praying for rain, right? And they're also praying for the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, right? Uh, and uh, it's interesting because, uh, well, first of all, that background obviously helps us to understand the, the, the passage. But the fact that John has to include verse 39, tells us something, okay? So Yeshua is saying verses, what it says in verses 37 and 38. So it's way later that John writes the gospel, not, not like hundreds of years later, but decades later, right? And, uh, and he, he has to give us a little commentary uh, on it, right? In 39, it says, But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So it's kind of interesting because uh, you got to wonder, were they confused when, when they heard this? Because the fact that John is writing that assumes that, that the thought is we need to understand that he was talking about the Ruach. He was talking about the Spirit. And you know it wasn't hundreds of years later, decades later, and so I, uh, perhaps there was some confusion about what he was saying, uh, you know, even, even when he said it. But one thing is for sure, okay, the fact that he was pointing to himself uh, as the one who provides, uh, that they got, okay, that he had the audacity to say, come to me, all right? So because you see in verse 40, uh, it says here, some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet, meaning like another Moses, you know, the one, uh, one like Moses who would come. Uh, others were saying, this is the Messiah. Still others were saying, surely the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee, is he? So there was confusion about uh, about his identity based on what he said. But one thing is for sure, nobody ever talked like this before, right? And there are other verses where we read that, that no one had, you know, they were astonished because no one had ever spoken with such authority before, right? And if you're familiar with um, Jewish literature from the time, you know, the most famous is the Pirkei Avot, uh, or the most, yeah, the most famous, most well-known. It's sort of like a rabbinic um, wisdom, little wisdom section uh, in the Mishnah. And uh, when you, what you read there, it, it uh, serves as a very good illustration of the way that ancient rabbis spoke and taught. They would never say, I say this. They, they didn't speak that way. They would say, uh, rabbi so-and-so, in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, said this. And they would speak in the third person. They would refer to other uh, leaders. But they did not say, but I say to you. See, and this is where Yeshua, when Yeshua says, you've heard that it has been said, but I say to you. 
That, you know, they had to get past that part of, of uh, the statement before uh, they could understand uh, the actual teaching, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so here, uh, and you know, another great uh, example of that is in Matthew chapter 11, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, okay? And, and so here, when he says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, one of the things that that tells us right off the bat, forget about what he's actually saying, is the centrality of Yeshua himself. You know, that is very important for us to, uh, to remember. Uh, uh, the centrality of Yeshua. Very important for us. Sometimes as a Messianic community, you know, we, um, we accentuate, we might say, well, we go to the Father in the name of Yeshua. You know, which is true, but it's quite clear that the only way that we have intimacy with God, the only way that we can experience the Ruach, the only way that we are able uh, to have an assurance of closeness to God is if Yeshua is central, not an, not an add-on, but central. You know? and, and, uh, uh, so it's very important. That, that we understand that. So when Yeshua is speaking, he is not uh, some megalomaniac, you know. Uh, he, he is indeed the Messiah of God. He is indeed the very incarnation of God. And he is the doorway to, know, to having a, a relationship with God. Because he, it is God has come to visit man. He's broken into this world in the person of Yeshua. So when he says, come to me, this is very much about what, you know, the, when the prophets uh, in the Tanakh say, thus saith the Lord, you know, then God speaks in the first person. And so here Yeshua is not speaking as a prophet in these texts. He is speaking as the Lord. Okay. And there you go. Okay. All right. So I, I, uh, if any man is thirsty, let him Come to me. See, it isn't, isn't interesting. He doesn't say, let him come to God through me. He doesn't say that. Come to me. So if we don't get anything else out of Sukkot, get that. Okay? That uh, Yeshua is absolutely uh, 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 central. Okay. So now, what does he say? What is it that he's saying? All right. So he, said, if any, he says, if any man is thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow uh, rivers, of, uh, rivers of living water. Okay. Now, we read in the, um, in the Tanakh about uh, living water, right? We read about living water uh, in uh, one place in particular, two places really, but one place in particular, and that is in Zechariah. Chapter uh, 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 chapter fourteen, in verse eight, I think. Okay, Zechariah fourteen. Yeah, as the will read earlier. Okay, so the day that day is a unique day, as it says in the previous verse. It's a unique day. Uh, notice it says in verse seven, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about. Uh, that at evening time there will be there will be light, It'll be a supernatural day. So then it says, and it will come about in that day that living waters, Maim Chaim, 
That's how you can always remember that. Will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. And it will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord, the king, uh, will be over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name one. So that is the day of Messiah. That is the consummation. That is the day when the whole world will know uh, Yeshua. Uh, there will be no uh, a question uh, but that uh, that is the day uh, of, of, uh, of a consummation. Okay? So uh, we read that water will flow out of Jerusalem. Okay? Now, we're reading about all kinds of supernatural things in this text. It's not a normal day. So why should we think that the water should be normal? Right? And uh, it's quite clear uh, John is a disciple of Yeshua, so it is quite clear that Yeshua is he's giving us the, the meaning of that text, you know, right from the Lord himself. He's telling us what it means, okay? So it means that the, uh, that the presence of God is going to flow out of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit, the, the Ruach is going to flow out of Jerusalem. Right? Very important. Not just be manifested in Jerusalem, but flow out of Jerusalem. Okay? Very important to, to uh, understand. Now, there are other passages in the, uh, in the Tanakh that uh, talk about this pouring out of the, of the Ruach. Okay? Uh, three in particular. In uh, Isaiah chapter 44, in verse uh, 3, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on all your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord. And will and will name Israel's name with honor. So you you get the idea that not that you have this combination of the land uh, just you know uh, being healthy and growing and well watered, and at the same time that the spirit being poured out means uh, God's blessing on the people, and that they're all going to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, you know, and they're all uh, going to know God. All right. That's the promise of the future, right? That is what we, that's what the, from the point of view of the Bible, that's the end game, you know? Uh, another one is in Isaiah uh, chapter 32, verse 13. For the land of my people in which thorns and briars shall come up, Yea, for all the joyful house and for the jubilant city, because the palace has been abandoned, the populated city forsaken, hill and watchtower have been uh, made caves forever, a delight for wild donkeys, a pasture for flocks. In other words, a pretty sorry state of being. Until the Spirit is poured out upon from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile land, and the fertile field is considered as a forest. 
Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. And the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation, and a secure dwelling and undisturbed resting place. Okay. So again, you see this combination of in that day, the land will flourish, and when the land flourishes, the people will flourish, right? That uh, the, it's almost as if the, uh, the blessing on the land is like the, uh, 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 the foreshadowing of the blessing on the people. Like they go hand in hand. Like it, it, uh, the, the, the promises in that day, like, and Isaiah says this a little differently at the very end of the book, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Well, we know that, okay, it doesn't mean that just like I'm going to have a new lawn, right? Or the streets are going to be paved uh, again, right? No, but it's going to be this transformation of the world that, that the presence of God will be on all creation, but especially people. All creation, but especially people, because God made all of creation for humanity. See, going like right back to the Garden of Eden. All right, God made everything for people to enjoy and to live in. And so, uh, in that day, it'll be like a return to to Eden. That the world will be transformed, and all the people, and and all the people, everybody else, whoever has been rebellious, whoever refuses. Uh, is judged, and it's just the place of great blessing uh, and embracing of, uh, of, of God. Then, of course, last night we read Joel chapter 2, and I guess it's probably wise for us to turn to it again because that's the passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 when he's trying to describe what is going on when everybody understands each other and you know, all the manifestations of the, the Spirit of God being poured out in the second chapter of Acts, right? Everybody's not drunk. It is the presence of God in their midst. It is the unique pouring out of the uh, Ruach. And he says it's like what it talks about in, in Joel, in the book of Joel. It doesn't exhaust it. It doesn't mean that that's it. But it means this is like what it says in Joel. This is what comes to, to his mind. And again you have uh, this great statement of overflowing blessing in the land. Uh, So it says in verse 21, Do not fear, O land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. O rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. And the threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine uh, and oil. New wine and oil just speaks of pleasure, of satisfaction, of joy in in what the land produces, you know, Uh, blessing in the land. And I will make up the years for you, the, uh, the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust, and every kind of locust. Okay? Uh, uh, my great army, which um, I sent among you. And you shall have plenty to eat and will be satisfied. 
and praise the name of the Lord your God who, is, who has dealt wondrously with you, then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame. And it will come about that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions and it goes on. Now, the, the important part of this passage is first that by all of this happening, Israel is going to know, they're going to know the Lord. And then, very importantly, the Spirit of God is not only poured out on Israel, but on all mankind. It's a whole worldwide pouring out of the Spirit. So, you know, when you think about that, you know, I, you know, I don't know exactly uh, who was living uh, right around here 2,000 years ago, but uh, the Spirit of God would be poured out right here and, and, and in Asia uh, and in Africa and in South America and in places where nobody even knows people live, uh, all of mankind. Uh, beginning in Jerusalem, right? Beginning in Jerusalem. Uh, Israel and then the nations, see? So when Yeshua says this, and uh, this issue of uh, uh, water flowing out, uh, that certainly the thought goes back to that Zechariah passage, okay? Of that unique day when water will flow uh, out of Jerusalem. Now, it's, so it's important to understand that the water flowing out of Jerusalem in that day, the Lord will be one, His name will be one, He'll be king, right? It, the, the, these other passages, when you put it all together, the Spirit of God is poured out on all mankind and, uh, and upon Israel and, and all of that. So when Yeshua uh, uh, says this, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Okay. Now, we're, we're talking about Yeshua is saying that in me, you can uh, experience, we could say, the beginning of the end. You can experience uh, this great promise, even though the, entire, even though, uh, the, uh, the whole world is not yet changed, yet you can experience this uh, presence uh, of the Spirit of God, right? Uh, now, the reason John says uh, that he spoke of the Spirit, uh, which had not yet given because Yeshua was not yet glorified, is because Yeshua said this before he died, and before he rose from the dead, and before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and, and hence before the Spirit of God was poured out. He said it in a sense prophetically. Okay, So once, once we're in the second chapter of Acts, and the Spirit of God is poured out, the Spirit of God is, is poured out. It's not again and again and again. The Spirit of God is poured out. All right? And now it's simply a case of all who embrace Yeshua partake of this Spirit. All who embrace Yeshua uh, have the Ruach dwelling in us by the fact that we embrace the Messiah. It doesn't come after. Okay? When you embrace Yeshua into your life, you partake of the Spirit of God. That's why uh, uh, we read in passages like in Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 5 and on and on and on, uh, Paul gives these admonitions. Walk by the Spirit. 
walk by the Spirit. The, you have to have the Spirit in order to walk by the Spirit. Okay? I, I, when um, I, in Romans uh, uh, chapter uh, 8, it is quite clear there that Paul talks about those who are led by the Spirit are children of God by definition. See? So because it, historically the Spirit of God has been poured out, now we who embrace Yeshua live in that sphere of, the, of Israel's future today, of experiencing, so to speak, the future now. Not uh, a new heaven and a new earth yet, but now the, the presence of the Ruach uh, dwells, uh, dwells within us. Okay. Now, uh, so why does he say it on Sukkot? I mean, yes, you, I mean, he does say it on Sukkot, and it is the seventh day, and you do have the backdrop. But, you know, uh, let me suggest that these libation offerings are, are, off, are offered other times. He could have said the very same thing at Passover, and we could make all kinds of, uh, you know, we can make all kinds of connections. Uh, he could have said it at, at a lot of different times. So Sukkot is a very interesting holiday for us in relationship to this. Sukkot is an, uh, there's an irony about Sukkot. Sukkot reminds us that we have not yet arrived on one hand, but on the other hand, we have arrived because it comes after the repentance and the reconciliation, and it's, you know, uh, and, and now we celebrate a renewed relationship with God. But on the other hand, uh, when you look at the passages about what Sukkot means, it's about being on the journey. It's about remembering the journey. And so uh, if we're remembering being in the wilderness, right, it reminds us that we are still in the wilderness. Again, this, the whole irony, the paradox of knowing Yeshua, the whole paradox of knowing the Lord. You know, uh, we've arrived, but we have not yet arrived. I, you know, uh, uh, we, uh, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we still have to confess our sins, Right? Uh, so it's like the presence of the, of the future in, in certain respects. So Sukkot reminds us that we're still on the journey and that God provides on the journey. So that being said, it means that if we are really living Sukkot in our lives, it means that we will never have the sense that we have completely arrived. It, it will never be like, it's just, I'm like in spiritual Disneyland, you know? I, uh, that it's all high fives, you know? I, that is not the experience of Sukkot. Sukkot is a great holiday of, of anticipation, of looking forward, you know? You know, in our uh, Torah class, I think it was in, I, I, think, I think I said, I, at some point within the last seven days, to some group of people, uh, uh, I was making the statement that, you know, it's interesting that at the end of the five books of Moses, at the end of the Torah, the children of Israel are not in the land, right? That's why some have argued for a hexatuk, right? To add Joshua in there so that the people make it to the promised land. If we only have the five books, if we do not, if we've never read anything after the last word of Deuteronomy, we're sitting at the, we got to wait till next season. It's a cliffhanger. Do they enter the land or do they not enter the land, Right? So it is, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and the, the whole wilderness motif in the Bible, 
dwelling in the wilderness is very important for us. So, so in knowing Messiah, in one sense, we have arrived, but there's still the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. We are in the wilderness, but God dwells with us. And I would suggest that is uh, an outstanding reason for Yeshua to say this on Sukkot. That, you know, uh, if you're thirsty, and remember the wilderness, we're thirsty in the wilderness, right? Uh, one would think that, you know, if we've arrived, we'll never be thirsty again. We'll just be satisfied forever, you know? But we do get thirsty. Why do we get thirsty? Because we have not yet arrived, okay? But boy, it's a good thing that we know we're thirsty. Because if you did not experience thirst, you would die. You would die, see? So being thirsty tells us that we know that we haven't arrived, we know we have a need, uh, and by going to God to say we're thirsty means I know where, uh, I know where the thirst, the, the internal thirst, uh, you know, can be, uh, uh, can be satisfied. So now, you know, there's a number of uh, great passages uh, in the Bible that talk about being thirsty. And uh, most of them are in the Psalms. Well, several of them are in the Psalms. <laughs> and so they're very interesting because there are places where people are in need, right? The, one of the real great ones, of course, is Psalm 42. Psalm 42. If you are down and you don't, uh, you are, you know, kind of uh, depressed, down, not happy about things, read Psalm 42, you know. Because what you will see there is, wow, I can commiserate with Psalm 42. Now, you might need to read Psalm 103 immediately after that. Right? And then you get you know, to be cheered up, right? Uh, but Psalm 42 tells us that you can be a spiritual person and be sad. You can, I'm going to say that again. You can be a spiritual person and be sad about your circumstances in life. The paradox of knowing the Lord. At the same time you're experiencing joy unspeakable, you can be sad about the circumstances in your life, okay? Being satisfied in the Lord is not about an emotion, a specific emotion. It's not. That's why sometimes we like to get ourselves worked up by singing a, singing a particular chorus a thousand times. Do you ever attend a service like that? You know, where you're just singing this particular chorus a thousand times. And the idea is we're getting ourselves worked up, like in the locker room, you know? We're getting ourselves worked up. Worked up, I'm happy, I'm happy. I'm joyful, I'm joyful, I'm joyful. My world's falling apart. You know, my loved one just passed away and I lost my job, but I'm joyful. I'm happy, oh my God, I'm happy. Right, right? That requires tremendous counseling, all right? People are living in tremendous denial that it's okay to be sad, you know? Is that right? Yeah. It's okay to be sad uh, and know the Lord and not be, it's not like you're not walking with the Lord. It's not like, oh, wow, this person's doubting their faith because they're sad, and you know? No. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they say to me all day long, where is your God? You're supposed to be a believer. How can you, be, how can you have tears day and night? You know, you know how I read that? I don't read that as like a, uh, an atheist says that to you. That could be. But I think what happens more times, it's actually somebody who's a believer and is saying, where is your God? Where's the Lord in your life? What's the matter with you? You know, cheer up for crying out loud. Okay. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in processions to the house of God. He's thinking back. You know, I used to be, I used to be that person. I used to be real joyful and singing and, and just, uh, wow, you know. I, I remember those days, right? And then he said, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Then he ta- he's talking to himself when he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? He's talking to himself. Why am I so sad, you know? Now, we may know, we may have all kinds of reasons and, and know it, but then sometimes it's just this accumulation of stuff, you know, and uh, just, why am I so sad? So then he's, he, again, he's talking to himself, like we do, you know, that voice we talk to ourselves with? Then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's, so he's not giving up his faith, but he's struggling. He's struggling and he's sad. He says, I remember when I, you know, used to be singing and be rejoicing, and, but boy, I'm, I'm just real weepy, but you know, I, I'm going to hope in God and, and God will restore me, but oh, but I'm, I'm just weepy. And he goes back and forth, back and forth in, uh, in this psalm. You know, after he says, you know, in, at the end of verse five, for the help of his presence, then he says in verse six, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. And he goes, he, he goes on and on. Uh, uh, then he, down in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Right? What's interesting is there's no place at the, end of the, at the end of the chapter, at the end of the psalm, where he's like, you know, uh, uh, you know thank the Lord, blessed be God, uh, you know. No, he kind of leaves us hanging there. Because you know what? Life sometimes leaves us hanging, you know? Okay, so the point here is, is that he's not feeling sorry for himself because he's going to God. He's going to God. This is all in the form of an interaction with God. And what he says is, as the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, God. I'm thirsty. Lord, I'm thirsty. And sometimes when we're really thirsty for God, it, certainly we're reminded we're in the wilderness. But we do know that over time, God meets that need. And especially now, remember when he wrote this, and we won't take the time, but if you look at Psalm 63 in verse 1, he's thirsty there too, okay? Okay. Uh, and several other thirsty passages as well. But you see, when Yeshua comes and he says, come to me if you're thirsty, he's saying, I will quench your thirst. I will quench your thirst. Okay? So we know that 
uh, as, uh, as believers in Yeshua, uh, there is this paradox that Yeshua quenches my thirst, but I still get thirsty. Yeshua quenches my thirst, but I still get thirsty. Okay? What we need to always remember, therefore, is, is that in Yeshua, there is the satisfaction, the joy, the peace, uh, you know, and, 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 and all of that, right? That in Yeshua, we have the, uh, you know, the answer to our, to our thirst. But we're going to be thirsty because we are in the wilderness. And so we must always be going to where the water is. It's like a constant thing. And you know, Isaiah says something really interesting. And it's no coincidence that it's two doors down from Isaiah 53. You know, Isaiah 53, the great messianic passage of the Messiah, right? Well, the way uh, chapters 54 and 55 work, they're like an interlude. I have to offer the MSI Isaiah course again one of these days. Isaiah 54 and 55 are like an interlude. And it's like an altar call. Now that, you know, we have the promise of the servant, 54 and 55 is like an altar call beginning with Israel and then for the nations. You ought to read it slowly and really think about it. Okay? So chapter 55, look at the beginning of it. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You know, before I knew the Messiah, this is a very uh, special passage for me. I don't know who wrote it, but back in the 1970s, there was a song, uh, Come to the Waters. I can't remember it anymore. But it was very meaningful uh, to me uh, at that time of, of uh, being satisfied, uh, of, uh, of knowing the Lord, knowing the Messiah. Anyway, uh, I'm sure if I thought about it long enough, I probably could whistle it out or something. I don't know. Anyway, how everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Stop right there. So it's, in other words, you're coming empty, you're coming penniless, and you can have it. It's free. Come to the waters. Come and be satisfied. That is like an offer that God is making. And, and that is exactly, you know, in the voice of Yeshua, that is what he's saying. Come to me. I will give you, if you are thirsty, come to me, uh, and I will quench your thirst. Right? Now, in the New Covenant, there's uh, another interesting passage about water and Yeshua, and that's in 1 Corinthians. I'm actually going to put a little thing there in Isaiah 55. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, it's not exactly a, a pleasant read. Uh, you know, he's chastening them, right? All right. Uh, and, uh, and he says, uh, he's talking here in chapter 10 about how our ancestors were in the wilderness and God had worked in their lives, but they really blew it in the wilderness. Okay? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the spiritual food. And all drank the spiritual drink. What he's, what he's doing here, he's saying, 
you know, you have been immersed in Messiah Yeshua. You got immersed, you know, under the water. And you partake of Messiah's table, right? So he's saying, metaphorically, when our ancestors came through the Red Sea, it was like an immersion. Uh, and, and God uh, provided for them in the wilderness, okay? Uh, and then he says, here, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Messiah. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, that we should not crave things as they craved, and do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon the ends to whom the ends of the ages have come. Okay? So we might ask ourselves then, so how do I partake of the drink? How do I get quenched? How do I really experience satisfaction in my, in my life? Okay? Well, we'll mention a couple of things. Uh, that uh, you know that the uh, that the scriptures basically uh, basically tell us one is right here right here in chapter ten uh, you know taking our focus off of God grumbling that's a biggie I like I just like that one grumbling many of us would say well I'm not really an idolater you know uh, I'm not a hedonist I'm not just doing whatever I want to do. But it's according to this passage, grumbling uh, uh, it keeps us from being uh, satisfied with the food and drink that God provides. He provides it. But if we are constant complainers, isn't that the big thing in the wilderness? Weren't they constantly saying, oh, why didn't we stay in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here? Why is this happening to me? Oh, be better off, forget, you know, just forget it. You are not going to experience joy and satisfaction in the Lord with a bad attitude. With a bad attitude. A bad attitude. Just a bad attitude. Doesn't the scripture say in, uh, you know, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, have the kind of attitude that Yeshua had, who did not see that he was equal to God as something to be grasped, but rather he became like one of us and died. We need to have that kind of attitude. We need to have an attitude of deference, an attitude of humility. If you have an attitude of humility, an attitude of deference, now you might say, you know, I don't like that. So I'm just going to read it in the Bible so you don't yell at me, okay? Okay? So, you know, right there in Philippians chapter 2, it says here, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. And then he talks about the selflessness of the Messiah. Okay? So we need to have a good attitude, not like our ancestors in the wilderness. Okay? Now, there's something else. Turn to Galatians with me to the fifth chapter. Galatians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 15. 
But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the thing that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's not talking about jettisoning the law of Moses. He's talking about if you're led by the Spirit, it's not a rule. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not following a rule. Like you don't have a a rule that says do this. No. If you're led by the Spirit, it's coming from within you. It's coming from within you. So uh, I will suggest that if we want to be... uh, 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 filled with the Spirit in the sense of being led by the Spirit of God and be uh, be satisfied and whole, that we have to have in our will a desire to walk with God. Because when he says walk by the Spirit, he means live a certain way. Not sit and just sort of say, Lord, give it to me now. I heard a song on the radio. Okay, I got it. No, it's not because, see, what people, most of us, and I'm I'm like everybody else. I mean, I do the same thing. Waiting for an experience. I'm waiting to feel it. I'm waiting for the experience. And that is not, that is so anthro-centered, so persons, myself-centered. No, walk by the Spirit. You follow the Lord. You know the Lord. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You volitionally or by your will, walk with the Lord, and you will see that that is the connection. As you desire to walk with God, God will meet that need, and you will walk with the Lord. You will be satisfied. But if you are like, well, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, and I don't get it. Or or those people, I don't like those people. Or that guy said this thing to me, and and I, you know, and I, boy, this is, you know, I don't know. And Boy, nobody gets me, and I forget it. It isn't going to happen. But when we come with the right attitude to God, and we say, Lord, I want to walk with you, you, you will, because you have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God empowers us to live a godly life, but we still have a will of our own, okay? That's not works righteousness or anything like that. No. Nope. It's being fully human. Being fully human means making choices in our lives. And so when we make a decision, it's just like when, frankly, when we're convicted of our sin, think about how you came to know the Lord, right? I don't know about you, but I wasn't walking down the street. I was not Paul here. I I was not walking down the street, and then I I passed out, and the next thing you know, Yeshua was standing over me, okay? No, I was going back and forth. Is he the Messiah? Isn't he the Messiah? I don't know. People are telling, I'm reading the Bible, and I, I don't know. And, and it's such a quandary. Is he really who he says he is? And you know, I said, God, I want to believe. You, you reveal this to I want to know what's true. When you make a prayer like that, he's going to do that because by your will, you're saying, I want to know. God is not going to deny us when we want to walk with him, when we really, when, so we need to think on Sukkot. Well, I'm in the desert. Do I really want the water that God has? Do I really want what he has? Or do I want the Kool-Aid? Do I want the placebo? You know, do I want what really doesn't satisfy? See, that's the question. 
we have to ask ourselves. You know, whenever I talk about this, I always give the same illustration, so I'll say forgive me, but I really like it, so I'm going to say it. You know, there used to be an advertisement on television for a particular, well, I won't say what it was for. It was, and so, but in it, you had this, uh, it was the Old West, and you had this uh, cowboy wearing like 35 pounds or 100 pounds of whatever and jingling along the way, you know, and he's in the desert, and you're looking at his face, and he's sweating, and he's like, you know, licking his, licking his lips, and he's thirsty, and he sees out in the distance, uh, you know, like a, the saloon, right? And he goes, and he, you know, he can, he can just picture it, you know, flips open those doors, and gets up to the bar, and he says, give me a bag of chips, <laughs> right? And he, he gets the, 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 the potato chips, and he puts them in his mouth, and he goes, ah, and then he walks out. It was a potato chip advertisement, okay? I, I, and uh, the reason I remember it is so how weird, right? Uh, how, what a paradox, uh, what, how odd, how wrong, you know, but I remember it all these years later. But that's what we often do. I'm thirsty, give me potato chips. Or, or better, give me a sugary drink, right? Give me a sugary drink, and then I will, I will be satisfied, right? And that can come in the form of all kinds of things. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, what, we, uh, what we do is we, we seek uh, to, to work harder, you know? I will be satisfied if I work harder, if I, if I serve the Lord more, if I do more stuff, you know? Or if I read that book, or uh, if good things happen in my life, you know? Oh, Lord, if I just get that job, or I get that husband, or I get that wife, or, I, or, or that child, or that thing, or that house, or that retirement fund, or, or this, or that, then I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'll really be walking with you, God, if you just fix this thing in my life. Make me better. Make my loved one better. Make me not live so frenetically with, with so many responsibilities. We're always waiting to turn that. We'll be waiting to turn that corner our whole lives. But you see, God, in the midst of all of it, he says, come to me and I will quench your thirst. And so in that passage in Galatians, it's very interesting that when he says this, you know, walk by the Spirit, and then he talks about walking by the Spirit. He gives the evidence of walking by the Spirit. What is the evidence of walking by the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and stuff like that. When, when you uh, are satisfied in God, you, you will see this fruit born in your life. Okay, You will see this fruit born in your life. And what happens is, God made us to be relational human beings. Very important. Okay, And so when we are... When we're filled with the Spirit, we'll sing spiritual songs. We'll, we'll have a joy in our heart. We read that in, in Ephesians chapter 5. But you know what else you read? You know what Paul says in a long, drawn-out explanation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit? You'll yield to one another. You'll yield to one another. Okay? You wanna, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means you'll yield to one another. Read Ephesians 5, right? Uh, read the entire second half of the chapter, right? If you're filled with the Spirit... Uh, husbands and wives will have good relationships. Parents and children will have good relationships. 
uh, uh, people you live with and work with will have, you'll have good relationships. That's what the Bible says, okay? Uh, you know, maybe I better read it because I think it's important enough. I'm sorry. I'm almost done. In Ephesians 5, when, I, when we read the famous, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, it's a command. It's a command. The will. Your will has a lot to do with being filled with the Spirit. He's not saying, he doesn't say, don't get drunk with wine, but pray to be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say that. He says, be filled. It's a command. It's imperative. Okay? So then he says, speaking to one another. That's, see, we miss the important parts of this. Speak to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, seeking and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. Remember that attitude? Oh, the will. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Messiah. And he's going to explain it for the next chapter and a half. And so, again, have that attitude that's in Messiah Yeshua as a believer. And boy, you will drink that water. And you will uh, indeed uh, be uh, and indeed be filled. Uh, you know, I could go on and, you know, I'll just tell you. In Psalm 78 in verses 15 and 16, there it talks about drinking water in the wilderness. And then it says, but they rebelled against him. But, you know, uh, the people had a bad attitude. But, uh, you know, the, the people were uh, looking elsewhere. Uh, and that's exactly what we do. In Jeremiah, read chapter 2. I think it's around verse 17 or 18. It talks about my people... Uh, uh, drink but are not satisfied and they're like cisterns with holes in them. Well, they're co constantly taking stuff in but it doesn't stay in because they're drinking the wrong thing. They're looking, in the wrong, looking for love in all the wrong places. You know? Uh, and, and so on Sukkot, yes, it reminds us that we are on the journey but uh, it also, Sukkot reminds us that God is there to satisfy us. And finally, the very last thing is when Yeshua says in uh, John uh, 7 here, if you look at the words carefully, in John 7, verse, verse 37, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, then it's he who believes in me, he who embraces me, he who identifies with me, he who trusts me. As the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Okay, now we come right back to where we started. So if we trust him and we're satisfied, it'll be like, we're going to be like Jerusalem in the, world, in the days to come. And the water will not just be floating around inside of us, but it will ooze out of us. And if you notice, in the, in the passage, the fruit of the Spirit passage, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, think of every single word there and think that manifests itself when I am in a relationship with another human being. I manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, and things like that. Those are relationship builders. My relationship with God and my relationship with others. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will have good relationship with God and others. We will. That's what the Bible teaches. And you know that if you are here today and you know the Lord, and I'm looking around the room and I think that most of us have embraced Yeshua. And let me just say that if you're going through a real rough spot, Come to the waters. Don't give up. You desire God. Pray, 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 pray 
Lord, I don't feel it, Lord, but I want you. I want you. If we really want God, if you seek him, he will be found. Okay? And so uh, my prayer is that on this journey, on Sukkot, we know we're still in exile. We know we're in the wilderness. And we, it's great to know when you're thirsty. That is a victory to know you're thirsty. Go to the source. Not to things related to the source. Go to the source. God, I want more of you. I want more of you. Notice that in Psalm 42, he doesn't say, Lord, fix the problem. He does not pray, Lord, fix the problem. He says, Lord, I want more of you. That needs to be the prayer. Lord, I want more of you. When we pray, Lord, I want more of you, you will see that in the midst of the problems, God will meet that need. He will fill you up and you will be able to cope with the world as it comes. And, and you know, sometimes God does indeed do a miracle and change the situation, but most of the times what he's changing is us, right? And so on Sukkot, let us remember the words of Yeshua. Come to me, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. And out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living let us embrace Sukkot and live Sukkot, the presence of God in our lives all the time. Amen.